welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. Let's go ahead and get into the word. Can we do that? Yeah? All right. We're, we're going to be in Micah this morning. Micah chapter 5. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Amen. And when you have it, give me a give me a an amen to let me know you're awake or alive. Give me <laughs> Pastor Gabby. Amen. You got it. Micah. Micah. All right. That one was a little tougher to find, huh? <laughs> All right. If, if you don't have it, I got you up here. Micah chapter five, verses one through five. It says this. This is the the New Living Translation. It says, mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem, and they will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at his last Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. Amen. Amen. I've entitled today's message, You're Important. If you're sitting next to someone, let them know that they're important. Tell them you're important. Come on. Let them know that they mean something to someone. You're significant. You're significant. This, this passage that we just read, you know, it's a, it's a very clear prophecy uh, relating to the Lord, you know, Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah, as the Savior to the whole world. And there's two things that we find in this passage, two kind of themes. One is, is punishment and, and the other one is hope. Now, the punishment aspect, if you read it, I mean, it, it kind of sounds, you know, it, it kind of sounds like a warning. Right. Uh, and it comes as a result uh, because of the nation of Judah, they still continue to rebel. They still continue to do wicked deeds over again. And he's brought them out of Egypt and he's, he's delivered them so many times. The nation of Judah still continues to rebel. And so the, the prophet is saying, look, you're still going to be, you're still going to be oppressed um, by, by the hands of your enemy until the day comes. And, and, and then we get to the hope aspect. He says there is hope because there is going to be one who is coming and he is going to bring a victory. And he's, it's all going to come from one man who will be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and then take on the sins of humanity and save the entire world. Punishment and hope. I think this passage right here that we just read, it's a really good summary for the whole redemptive message in, in, in the Bible. Because, yes, we, we continue to suffer. We continue to feel the consequences of, of human sin and, and our enemies. They continue to, to prevail over us sometimes, right? Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like the darkness kind of wins and, and the people of God were kind of losing? That's, that's, that's life sometimes. But there is victory. We know that we have that victory over death because Jesus Christ fulfilled the promise. And now that victory over death now belongs to us. So that's, that's the hope aspect. That's kind of how we live our lives, punishment and hope. And even this morning, I want to tell you, even if your reality, the reality of your suffering, it looks bigger than your hope. I want to let you know that your hope is significant. Your hope is important. 
even even though it doesn't really look like that, even though you're you're maybe passing through a, a season right now of, of desperation and trials and tribulations and, and, and the hope looks very, very, very small. Give it a little bit more credit than that. The hope is significant. That's where I'm going today. Hope, you know, hope comes in, in small packages sometimes. Um, and, and that's that's true for, for the biggest blessings. The biggest blessings sometimes they come in packaging that isn't really pretty. Right. And and we're like I think we're like kids in many ways. Kids, they want what they assume is going to be the best gift by just looking at at the packaging. The other day I, I did this little experiment with Layla. I, uh, I brought out two wrapped gifts and one one was big. One was it was like the size of Layla and it was beautifully wrapped, put a little bow on it. And um, and then I brought out another one. The second one I, I had wrapped it up in, in, in a napkin, paper towel. And I just, you know, put some some uh, scotch tape around it to keep it in place. And I said, Layla, which present do you want? And, of course, I knew what she was going to say. She said, I want the big one. I want the pretty one, the one with the bow on it. And I said, okay, um, go ahead and unwrap it. So she starts unwrapping it. And, you know, she takes a while when she's unwrapping gifts. I, like, go make me some coffee, come back. And then I'm like, okay, Layla, what was it? What was it? And she's like, nothing. It was nothing. And and, and she, she, because we've taught her how to say thank you, even though she gets something she doesn't like. She says, thank you. I love it. But I know that she didn't. She said, it's nothing. There's nothing there. It was just a box. It was just an empty box and not even one of those cool boxes. Like when I was a kid, I could have fun with a box. Right. You know what I'm saying? But but like this one was all flimsy and and it was it was ripped and there, there was it was trash is what it was. And and so then I asked her, Layla, do, do you want to see what what the other one was? And she says, yes. And so I I open it. And I say, OK, this one's going to be mine because you didn't choose this one. And so I open it and there's a little container containing nothing but but quarters in there. And Layla loves quarters. She loves, I, I bribe her with quarters sometimes, probably a little too much, but at least she's learning how to hustle, right? <laughs> and, and so, and so she, her eyes light up, right? Because a bunch of quarters, because Layla knows that four quarters equals one ride on the Woodlands Mall carousel. And so like she just collects these in. Every time we go to the mall, she cashes them in, right? And so she kind of reaches for the for the for the quarters. I'm like, nope, nope, this this is mine. I'm gonna ride the carousel. You go play with your your box, okay? Have fun. But that's that's kind of nothing's really changed as as adults because we go, we're drawn to the to the good stuff, the high quality stuff, right? The best looking stuff. Melissa always says that for some reason, anytime we go to a new restaurant, I'm always drawn to the most expensive meal on on, on the menu. And it's true. I I, I'm, I'm an expensive guy. I've got expensive tastes. And, and, and she's like, can't you just get like chicken tenders or something? La, I want like the filet mignon or something like that. Uh, but, but we, we, we're drawn to the things that look good, right? And, and, and too many times we pass up the things that look unimportant. But don't disregard the things that, that you think are insignificant because guess what? God likes those things. God likes the small things. God likes to collect the scraps that the world likes to throw away. And call me crazy, man. I have this theory that I think God likes to recycle. I think, like, have you thought about God that way? Like, like a green God? Like, not the color green, but like he, he's gone green. He likes, he likes to use the things that have been used and abused over and over and over and over again. And what was once used for one particular season and given one particular purpose, God's like, I can use that again. Don't throw it away. 
I can, I can restore that. I can make it better than it was. I can give it a new function, a new purpose. Melissa hates it when I throw plastic bottles in, in the trash can. I don't, know if, I don't know if anyone else has a wife like that, but like she gets on my case. Like I, I throw it in the trash can. She's like, how many times have we had this conversation? Right? I'm not the best. I'm not the best when it comes to recycling. I, I'll admit. I'm, I want to be better, but I'm, I'm flawed. What really gets her upset is when I throw trash in the recycling bin. Like, that really gets her. Like when, when the city provided us a, a recycling bin, Melissa was like, oh, yes, now we can recycle. I'm like, oh, yes, more, more trash space, right? Like I don't have to like take things out, you know, because our dumpster's not that big. So now I have two dumpsters, right? So I would always throw trash in there and, you know, that, that just, I don't do that anymore because I've, I've learned my lesson. But the other day, what really took Melissa over the edge, I, I tend to talk about her more when she's not in the room. Just, I feel safer. <laughs> uh, but, but a few weeks ago, we have this neighbor named, named Linda. She, she lives across the street from us, and, and uh, it's just her. She just lives there by herself, and she's, she's got cats. She's, like, she's that lady. And, um, and, and she, Linda knows everything that's going on in the neighborhood. Like she's, she's got the neighborhood gossip down, right? She, she knows everybody's name. She knows everybody's situation, and, and she, knows, she knows what the word on the street is. And so... We're, we're out there and we're talking to her and, and Melissa, um, Linda reports to, to Melissa that a few days ago she's wit- she witnessed the, the trash company throwing away the, the, the stuff in the recycling bin in the trash truck. And so these two women are infuriated and they're just going back and they're like, I can't believe that. That is so ridiculous. I'm going to call, right? There's, there, there's some complaint filing uh, done. And, and because, I mean, how, how are you going to throw something away that can still be used? And I'm obviously preaching this message to myself, but like there's still a purpose for it, even though church, even though it's been worn and torn and and used and abused and stepped on and broken and no one wants it. It doesn't look good to anyone. There is still some significance there. There's still some importance there. God likes to recycle because he likes to use the things that that everyone likes to throw away so that he can prove to the world that the thing that you thought was trash was actually a treasure. What you thought was trash, God's like, watch what I'm going to do with it. And this is, this is, you know, I think about Jesse, the father of David, and we preached the message, uh, you know, a, a few, a couple months ago on this. But, but uh, David was kept outside with the flock because Jesse, David's father, thought that he wasn't good enough. He wasn't, he wasn't king material. So he says, okay, David, you tend the flock. You, you, you stay outside. Your brothers are going to be in here. They're going to interview for the next you know, kingship position. And, and so uh, the prophet walks in. Samuel comes in, and he's like, is this, this is all you got? This, this is it? And Jesse's a little confused. Like, I mean, I, I've, gave you, I've given you my best here. I mean, look at, look at my sons. They're, they're tall, and, and they're handsome, and, and they're, they, they work out, right? They go to the gym, and, and, and they're like, they're, they're king material. And, and Samuel's like, well, I don't, I mean, God told me there's a king here, but, but none of these are it. I don't, and, 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 and the Bible says that, that God looks at the heart while man looks at the appearance, and so G, Jesse, he was looking at the appearance. He was looking at, at, at the, you know, the, the quality of, of, of every one of his sons. But God doesn't look at that. God doesn't choose the good looking. God doesn't choose your money because you have a bunch of money. God doesn't choose your bling or your fame or your education. God, God is looking at, at what no one else is even concerned with. 
Amen? I'm not saying those things are bad. But God is often looking at the one thing that no one else seems to care about because we think it's insignificant. Jesus, I mean, the same thing happened with him when he didn't prove himself to, to be this political you know, powerhouse that everyone thought he was going to be. No one, he was no longer significant in the eyes of people. God likes to flip things upside down, church, sometimes. And, and, and we're looking at a situation, we're trying to analyze it, and, and we're thinking logically and rationally, and, and we're trying to make the best decision based off of what we see. But, but so many times, because God flips things upside down, it's an illusion. God likes to do things a little bit differently. He, God likes the weak, and we like the strong. God, God likes the broken, but we, we like to buy things, you know, functioning. We don't, we don't want to buy something and pull it out of the box and it's broken. God's different, though. God looks at something broken. And he says, nice, it's, it's broken. Now, now I can make it better than it's ever been before, even before it wasn't broken. God's different than we are. He sees prosperity in the unlikely things. He sees victory in, in, in the one person that no one would want on their team. So what does this have to do with what we read? Let's get there. This prophecy, Micah's, you know, he basically says, look, nation, you're going to continue being in battle for, for a very long time. And, and you're going to be enslaved by the Babylonians and, and, and your enemies are going to prevail against you. And not anyone is going to be able to help you. Not anyone in Jerusalem, which is the capital, the, the U.S. version of Washington, D.C., they're not even going to be able to help you. Your leaders are going to get destroyed. Your kings are going to be overtaken. Your people, your possessions, your family, everything that you know and love is not going to be able to save you. But there's hope. Someone say, but there's hope. But the hope is not going to come in the manner in which you would expect to find it in. Look at verse 2 again. It says, but you, you, O Bethlehem. You. See, sometimes God is going to call you out like that. He's going to say, you. You, Brother Larry. You, Heather. You, Bruce. You, Damaris. You. And you're going to be turning around like, me? Me? You want me for this job? That's what Moses said. Me? Me? You want me? And God is like, yes, you. I'm calling you. I'm not calling the person behind you. I'm not, ca- I'm not calling the person with more qualifications. I'm not calling the person with a better education. I'm looking at you. You. God's going to call you out like that sometimes, church. He says, but you, O Bethlehem. Ephratha. Ephratha was the ancient name of, of Bethlehem. He says, you are only a small village among the people of Judah. Small doesn't mean insignificant. Small doesn't mean that only small things can be produced. Okay? Just because you're small doesn't mean you can't do big things. See, I, I, I think we, we, we miss this point so many times, church. We feel like we got to give God more than what we even have to give. But God, if you just give God the tiniest portion of what you have, God has this way of, of magnifying it to the whole world. But in order for you to, to give it to God, you have to have it. So many of us don't have it because we disregard it as insignificant. And we wait, we wait until we have more so that we can give God more to work with so what happens a lot of times, we postpone things. We postpone things until we have more. God, I, I want to go into ministry, but I'm not going to go into ministry until I have the education. 
God, I want to start this business, but I, I need a certain amount of dollars before I can, you know, quit my job and, and invest this, this ministry. I, I, need, I need to have a little bit more before I can give you everything that I have. And th- th- this is a good one. We, we, we tend to give God, we, we postpone doing things with excellence until we reach a number of people that we think is worthy of excellence. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if you got got that, but I'm preaching to myself, man. Because look, we we had the, we had a meeting. Uh, we had a meeting this past week um, with our leaders, uh, some of our, our our department leaders. We canceled service Wednesday, and uh, we did something that we've never done before. We planned out the entire year for 2019, the entire year, because that's the way that we need to start doing things. Even if we have ten people. We need, to, we need to operate in, in a manner in, in, like, like, like we're in front of 10,000 people. Because I bet things would change real quick if next week we knew that thousands of people were going to flock to Primera Iglesia. We would change, man, we would, we would have all the ushers in line. We would have everybody at, at, a, at a position. Everything would be in order. But because we, well, we only have 10 people are coming, we, we, we slack on the excellence. God will give you more excellence when I have more people. But God doesn't want your tomorrow, church. God wants your now. God wants your today. Stop, stop putting it off. Stop putting it off because you're small and you're waiting to get big. God likes it when it's small. God likes it when you don't have much to give because you give him that and he's going to produce. He's going to multiply it. So he says, oh, Bethlehem, you are a small village, yet a ruler, a ruler, a champion, a victor, a warrior, a king is going to come from Israel, whose origins are from the distant past, and he will come from you. This champion, this, this, this warrior, this savior to, to all of humanity, he's going to come from something that is so small and that you thought was insignificant. Don't write it off. Don't write, it, don't write yourself off. Don't write your flaws off. Don't write your weaknesses off because God can use that and he can bring a ruler from it. He can bring a champion from it. Don't, don't stop. Don't wait till you have more. Don't wait till you're bigger. Don't wait till you're better. God wants you now. We overlook the weak so many times because we're looking at what everyone else is calling the strength. Bethlehem. What comes from Bethlehem? I bet you when they heard that that place, Bethlehem, they were like, "Wow, really? Nothing really important comes from from Bethlehem." So it, you know, it's a small town. Not much goes on there. I mean. We know that Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, he, he came from there. But who's Jesse? I mean, David's, David's a real guy, the real hero. Who's Jesse? We know that, that Rachel, the, the wife of Jacob, she was born or she was buried near Bethlehem, but um, not much else comes from Bethlehem. So, so where's the significance? It's kind of irrelevant. You know, every time we, we, uh, we drive past Colorado, we, we, uh, we always pass by this little town called Raton. Anybody been by Raton? Yeah? Raton, it's in New Mexico. And uh, you know when you're there, man, because it stinks. Like, really, really bad. I don't need, I, I don't need the sign to tell me, welcome to Raton. I, I, like, I'm driving in the middle of the night, like, half asleep, and, oh, welcome to Raton. Here we are. And it, it, it smells terrible. And, and there's, like, you know, maybe a, one gas station, two gas stations, nothing to do there. Only thing to do there is get in your car and drive somewhere else. I don't, I don't know any 
presidents who have come from Raton. I don't know any celebrities. I don't know any big you know, business uh, CEOs and, and people like that. I don't know anyone who's come from Raton. It's just not the place that you'd expect anything significant to come from. Bethlehem was kind of like that. It was small. It was underrated. It was a little in, insignificant. And then God, God puts their name in his mouth. He says, but you, Bethlehem, man, you know, when we get so excited, like, like when someone on TV, like national TV, they give us a shout out, like, hey, my, my, my hood and, and GP, Galena Park, right? And everybody's going crazy. Woo! Right? <laughs> I imagine that's how it was. But you, oh, Bethlehem. What? What? Beth- talking about us. He's talking about it. What? Let's listen. But you, oh, Bethlehem, there is something going to come from you that is going to change the entire planet from you. That's awesome, man. And now the hope is found in a place that people thought was unimportant before. Isn't that funny how God does things? I'm telling you, he, he flips things around. He basically does, you know, what, what I did to Layla. He, he unwraps this big, beautiful present. We think, man, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then he, he shows us that there's really nothing in there. There's nothing there. The good stuff is in what you didn't even think twice to notice. So, for example, I, I was thinking about this, and I thought twice about whether I should say it or not because it points out my flaws. But I'm going to do it. It's okay. i got to preach truth. You know, I've been, I've been doing worship for, for the past 15 years, for a long time. And uh, I've, I've built up a certain level of confidence doing worship. I've been, in, I've been in front of, you know, crowds of all sizes. I've been in front of, you know, thousands. I've been in front of, you know, ones, like ten people, you know, nine people. So I, I, don't, I don't really get nervous when I do worship anymore, but I've always, anytime I've done worship, about 95% of the time, I'm always behind an instrument, either a keyboard or maybe a guitar sometimes. And so I've, for 15 years, I've been able to cheat a little bit by having the lyrics in front of me. And, and so I, I've always kind of put my confidence in that. And, and, and when we got this TV, you know, a, a couple years ago, it was a game changer for me because I was like, man... Now, now I don't have to look down anymore. Now I can look up and people are going to think I'm, you know, like looking up to the heavens and I'm just I'm really just reading the screen, but it, it's going to be a little bit better, you know? And, and so now I, I really, I put my confidence on the words being up there week after week. And my boy Lewis back there, uh, he does a killer job. I can count on him to have the right lyric on at the right time, right when I need to sing it. He does a killer job. But Melissa criticizes me for this because sometimes, sometimes I'm reading the screen and I still get the lyric wrong. <laughs> and she's like, well, how do you do that? And I, I don't know. Like, I'm either dyslexic or I just, I can't read. I can't, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is. But, but anytime that happens, I kind of take it as God giving me a little nudge. Like, hey, Ryan, maybe you should put less importance on the lyric screen and more importance on preparation. <laughs> Excuse me easier to say amen when the needle's not in your eye huh <laughs> but we we put confidence on the things that we can see on the things that we can touch the things that we can analyze right but but sometimes we miss the key ingredients because we disregard them as futile they're not that important this is we don't we don't need this this is what i need it's like there's a story in matthew and mark specifically matthew where 
where this man brings his uh, demon-possessed boy to Jesus. I don't know if you remember that? He brings his demon-possessed boy to Jesus, and he says, Lord, I've done everything that I know to do, and I, I need your help. I mean, my son has been dealing with this demon oppression since, since a very early age, and, and, and I, I just I, I really need some help. I brought him to your disciples earlier, but they couldn't help me. Can you help me? So, sometimes you got to appeal to a higher authority. And so that's what they're doing. I asked your disciples. Unfortunately, they couldn't help me. But can you help me, please? And Jesus is like, yeah, I can, I can help you. And I, I, I kind of imagine as, as, this, as this man was bringing his son to Jesus, the, the, the 12 disciples were kind of in the corner, kind of talking amongst themselves. Like, He's, he ain't going to be able to do it. Right? <laughs> I mean, we, we, we tried. It was 12 of us. We, we did all the steps that he's going to do. I mean, we basically... Learned from the master himself, and we weren't able to do it. So I, I bet this one's going to be difficult. Watch, watch. And then Jesus does it, and they're like, oh, "Goodness, what is it with this guy?" Well, because the first time around, when Jesus wasn't there, and I, I'm, I'm sure the I'm sure the guy was looking for Jesus, right? He goes to the disciples. He's like, "Is Jesus here?" No, he's not here. But is there anything I can help you with? Uh, Okay, well, I have my son here. He's demon possessed. Can you help him? I bet. I bet Peter's like all hyped up. Guys, guys, come on. We 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 have an opportunity here to prove ourselves. This is our moment. We can prove to Jesus that we have graduated. We have been discipled, and now we can go out into all the nations. I mean, we're ready. We've seen Jesus do this miracle so many times. He's always casting out demons. We can do this, right? Everybody's like, yeah. Okay, Andrew. Get out the notes on how to cast out a demon. Okay, I got it right here behind how to walk on water. Okay, all right. Step one, submerge your hands in anointing oil. Okay, got it. Check. Step two, you know, put your hands on the subject. Go, okay, I got it. Step three, start commanding. And, and, and they do everything right. They, they follow the steps. Everything that they know to do, they do. And so that's why they're a little bit confused a little bit later, when they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I mean, we did everything that, that you taught us. We did everything right. We followed the steps. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, because you lacked faith. That was it. Faith. I didn't have that in my notes. Such a, such a, such a crucial element that you failed to put importance on. You see what I'm saying? I did everything right. And so maybe, that, maybe the reason that, that when you're going through a, through a difficult situation in your life and, and you can't get something to work, maybe it's because we've forgotten a key element. And we're saying, God, I've, I've done everything right. I've prayed. I've sought, I mean, I, I've sought the advice. I've read the books. I've read the articles. I've listened to the podcast. I got educated. I got the training. I've, did, I've done everything right. And we're saying, God, I, I looked to Jerusalem for the answer. And God's like, the answer's not in Jerusalem. The answer's in Bethlehem. You're looking to the wrong place. Is it possible, church, that, that you're ignoring the Bethlehem in your life because you're so focused on the strength and the power and the authority of your Jerusalem? And you're placing your confidence in something that God's not even looking at. He's not even concerned with it. He's looking at something that you're, you're completely oblivious to. I don't know what it is. 
Maybe, maybe it's your past that you've been suppressing for a long time because you're ashamed of it. There's something that happened to you one time and, and you don't like to talk about it. You don't want to bring it up. It's a very touchy subject. You can't even talk about it with your spouse. But God wants to pick it. He wants to pick at you. He wants to pick at that. And he says, you, 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 past, I want to use you. I'm looking at you. You're significant. You're significant. You're important because I can do something with that because I have a tendency of using the broken and reusing the the ones who have been abused and used and broken and stomped on and, and shaken. I can use it to bring about my glory. Could it be that God is using your current struggle, church? We're all going through struggles, all of us. But maybe you're going through it and, and it's a place that you just want to get, you just want to get out of. You don't think anything good can, can come from it. And God is, God is trying to use it to bring forth an opportunity that you would have missed had you not gone through it. He's saying you, you, struggle, situation, you, I'm going to use you. Maybe your weakness, church. I want you to listen to this if you haven't listened to anything else because we, 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 we write ourselves off so many times. And we, we're so hard on ourselves because we can't get something right. And we're, we're, always, we're always just beating ourselves up because, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I, I didn't do this right. Maybe your weakness is not really a weakness at all. Maybe it's really a strength just ready to be manifested. I'm going to say that again just in case you didn't get it because you got to get this. Maybe your weakness, the thing that you're calling your weakness, the thing that you're trying to suppress that you don't want anyone to know about, maybe your weakness maybe is a strength just ready to be manifested, but you can't manifest it until you place significance on it. You're important. That thing that you're going through, that thing that you're calling a weak point in your life, man, God is ready to do something with it. That gift that you're insecure about, that you don't like sharing with people, you don't like people knowing about because they call you out and you don't like telling people that you can sing because then they're like, oh, sing something. Maybe, maybe God wants to use that. God is letting you know today, man, there is something powerful. There is something powerful that can come from any weakness, anything that you're placing very little importance on. God wants to magnify it because that's what God does. God takes the little things And he puts them on a pedestal to be used as his glory. I want you to think about that this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at PrimeraIglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.